Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. Honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. So welcome. What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 11 of the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. We are so excited to be with you. Hey, before we dive into episode 11 today, I want to remind you of our free marriage masterclass coming up on February the 2nd, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's a Thursday night, and we're going to be talking about sexual intimacy. We're going to give you a little bit more information at the end of the podcast, but just want to get that on your radar as we dive into another fun subject. We're going to be talking about financial health and financial unity. So if you are listening to podcast episode number 11, but you haven't listened to our podcast episode number 10, I'm going to tell you to put this one on the pause button and go and listen to episode 10, because actually what we're going to talk about today is really the overflow of a conversation we had with our friend Joe Sangle. He is the founder of I Was Broke and Now I'm Not which I just think that's a fun thing to say. Um, And then he uh, is now um, the owner of Enjoy Stewardship Services. And it was such an impactful conversation that Justin and I wanted to hop on here and just kind of talk about maybe some of the feelings we all felt after uh, listening to that podcast. Joe is the type of person where you just kind of want him to be your football coach because he's got so much energy. You're like, okay, what brick wall are we going to, are we going to run over, <laughs> you know, run into it? But then he's like, oh, we're going to talk about finances. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. But somehow the way that God has gifted Joe, he like makes you want to like stand up and be like, I'm excited about finances when you're really not. So it is such a good episode. So Justin, I wanted to take some time over the next, you know, 30 minutes and let's just have a conversation about finances. Well, when we're talking about Let's Get Real, which is the name of the podcast that we're a part of right now, um, one of the things that I came away from that conversation with Joe kind of really with some residual emotions about is he made a statement where he talked about the root of most people's financial stress or the root of most people's financial problems is grounded in their financial wounds. Mm -hmm. And just having traveled uh, all over the country and talk to people and hearing their wounds. Uh, you and I have experienced our own, you know, uh, fresh wounds recently, as well as over the course of our life. I never thought about finances that way of how, when you're wounded financially or when you, um, you know, you have certain things that come against you early on in life financially, it can shape and really kind of dictate how you see finances, how you interact with financials, the, um, the emotional, attachment or detachment that you have with finances. I really kind of felt like Joe was reading my mail and doing (laughs) a a counseling session all at the same time while we were recording that podcast episode. And you did a really good job of not basically looking at me and saying, he's talking to you. (laughs) Well, I mean, for all of us, Mary, money carries uh, emotions, you know, like it's it money in finances always kind of feels like it should be black and white, like math class. It's just black and white. Here's the um, problem and it should just be solved. But money carries emotions. And what you and I found out really early on in our marriage is that our upbringing, it, it affected our perspective on money. And so like for me, well, I guess for both of us, we grew up in blue collar homes, um, 
you know, working class families. And I know for my family, like my parents always had jobs, but they just didn't pay a lot. And so if, you know, something broke down, right. it financially was a hit for us. So yeah. even though in, in, for you, you remember like seasons that were yeah, scarce. I mean, quite, quite honestly, I mean, there were seasons that we were homeless. There were seasons we were on food stamps. There were seasons of, of life where, I mean, I remember driving to my grandparents' house just so my dad could borrow money so we could pay the rent. Um, I remember coming home from church one Sunday and there was just bags and bags of groceries uh, on our porch because we didn't have enough money to buy food. So there, there was this scarcity mm-hmm. of money or lack of money I always knew existed. I remember when I was, I don't know, I couldn't have been much more than 11 or 12 years old. Um, I signed up to, to like this through this mail order catalog to sell greeting cards door to door. Um, just because I, I just had that instinctual fear of not having money mm. <clears throat> and I got a paper out and then I started working at, as in a dish boy in a nursing home uh, at 14 years old. Like yeah. there was just this constant drive not to work, but to, to not be poor or to not be homeless or not be hungry or, or whatever. And so my, my first memories of money are, are not good ones. They're not like wrapped around these emotions of, um, something to enjoy or something to steward or something to manage or a a gift from God, (laughs) all the, all the church things that, you know, as pastors, we, we, we say that that's what money is. You know, the the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Well, could he just give me a couple cheeseburgers? (laughs) That's all I need, right? Can he just give me a cattle? (laughs) And I think if you're listening to this podcast, that's kind of, you know, the first question we want to throw out to you is when you think of money, what, what emotion does that elicit in you is, you know, in, when you think about it, does that stem from your childhood from my family? Like I remember, I don't know. Um, I'm not always good at like remembering time frames of my childhood, but I do remember we always got like huge bags of trash bags of clothes. And I don't know, maybe I should have been sad about it, but my sister and I thought it was like the best thing in the world. We'd like rip it open and it was exciting to see like what was inside. It was like a treasure hunt. And so I don't know. Those were hand-me-downs? They were total (laughs) hand-me-downs, but it was just like this treasure trove of a garbage bag full of clothes. I don't know. At least it wasn't garbage. You know what I mean? Like it was something thrown away. It was more like one of your relatives, your cousins or somebody. Yeah, I think it was uh, families from church, Hmm. but I think our you know, our perspective of how it makes us feel, you know, in that moment, I didn't feel shamed. I didn't feel embarrassed, but I often wonder how my parents felt. And in our family, you just worked if you wanted to do something. And so I had my first job at 14. I worked for, um, at Creamy Delight in Joliet, Illinois. And it was kind of the spot that a lot of my friends, that's where we worked. And I worked there my whole entire high school career because if I wanted to do anything extracurricular, it was my job. So it was interesting when Justin and I got married, here we were, we were super young, we were still in college. And you know, college covers a multitude of financial sins, right? When you're in college, you can just be like, you know, not like Joe, I was broke, now I'm not. You're like, I'm broke and I'm broke, you know, but I'm in college, so it's fine. So when you and I got married, we rented our first, our first apartment was so bad. It was a garage that someone converted. It did not have like real walls. It was cinder block walls. Justin, I thought it was amazing. Like the shag carpeting, but my sister-in-law will tell you that when she left our apartment for the first time, 
she cried because she just <laughs> thought it was that bad. But there was this moment that we knew we looked at finances a little bit different. Well, I'm, I'll never forget going to Trisha's house for the first time when we were dating. I don't even, maybe we weren't even dating at the time. And my parents never owned, we, they didn't own a home until Trish and I got, after Trish and I got married. So we rented, I think I lived in 17 different houses growing up from the time I was like four years old until I graduated from high school. And I go to visit Trisha's house and her parents own their home. And that to me was like, oh, wow, these people are rich. Like, mm. I just felt like they were so rich. And um, we got Marishka's, <laughs> <clears throat> which who knows if your family could afford that or not. It might have been a special occasion. Yeah, totally. But um, we never ate out. Like, the, my family just never ate out. And so to be at your house when your parents owned your house and then to eat out, it was like, oh, man, I'm marrying into the money. <laughs> now, um, to be fair, <laughs> our house was a two bedroom house with a den that we turned into a third bedroom and it was one full bath and one half bath. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, it was only my perception, right? It uh, wasn't. Yeah. It, it, but that, that I think that's what. That's what drives a, a lot of us when it comes to finances is the perception of what we have versus what other people have. And so when we got married, I just, I, I don't know, I just immediately, I think I would have felt pressure just how I grew up anyway, but I just felt this pressure to give you the best or, you know, give our marriage the best I possibly could. And we were in college. You said college covers a multitude of sins. I think college birthplaces a multitude <laughs> of sins financially. How many of us right now are in the car raising our hands saying, oh, I got student loans. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but you know, I'll never forget, like we use student loan money to buy a um, washer and dryer. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was no such thing of savings and it's not because our parents you know, I don't even think they had a chance to be bad with money because it's really hard to be bad with money when you don't have money. And so when you're paycheck to paycheck, you, it really causes you. Now, this is before the day and age of like credit card bonanza. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'll never forget um, I, w one of the very first financial conversations we had in a it's positive now. It was not it wasn't positive experience for me. Um, back then was Trisha, Trisha and I had a conversation with my boss, who's a good friend of mine now, Mark Malin, about our financial <laughs> philosophies. And he just said, JD, you're such a creative financer. And I thought that was such a, <laughs> I thought that was such a compliment, but it was not meant to be a compliment. What it may basically meant was you finagle and you kind of manipulate to get whatever you want. And one of the things that, that we did early on is I wanted Trish to have uh, a bedroom set. I felt like it's an heirloom that we're going to pass down from, you know, family member to him. So yeah. I went to this, <laughs> I went to this uh, furniture store in Lincoln, Illinois, and it was, guys. It was teeny, teeny, tiny. So tiny. But I bought like an eight-piece <laughs> bed, bedroom <laughs> set, queen bed dresser, oh, chest of drawers with a mirror, and it was two like the side 90s, tables, so it's like this headboard cherry. and footboard. You guys, we did not even have the, our bedroom would not even contain all of this. And so we had like the, our <laughs> nightstands, the bedside tables, we had them in the living room because they wouldn't fit in our bedroom. But, um, I, I didn't have a credit card. And, and so I worked this deal out where I would go down to this guy's furniture store every Friday and pay him $15. And it was, it was, it was innocent. It was innocent. And, but it was like, it was like uh, kind of an insight to, into one, I could make things happen, but yeah. they're not always the best 
decisions. But, but you were, and I think this is where a lot of us get in trouble. We had just found out I was pregnant. And so our... To put Mike in one of those bedside tables. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> our, our bed that we had, I don't even know where it came from. I, Lord knows. But like... Again, like when, you, you know. You guys it had a box springs and mattress, and we didn't know this <laughs> until like two months after we bought it, and we were like, what's that, like eight payments in, that Trisha, like, this bed is so uncomfortable. I can't stand this bed. And I'm like, do you know how much we're leveraging to buy this bed? So we take it apart, and there's no springs in the box springs. <laughs> It's just, just a, a box. Bo- just a box. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, again, like those early on things in my mind, my view was I wasn't thinking about the, you know, $15 we are spending a month, which is a broke week. or a week <laughs> as broke college students. That should be like 1500 I was thinking, oh, my man was wanting to do something nice for me. And this is so nice. And so I think that's where it starts. Sometimes it's out of like, I think I deserve this. But then oftentimes it's like, I want to do this because I think it's going to either be a betterment for my life personally, a betterment for my marriage, or, you know, like we just need to get into a house and we need to have a certain type of house because I want it to be the best of the best. The problem is, is that it begins to come back to bite us because when you make those decisions over and over again, you begin to lose reality of like, what you really have. And then instead of being, I was broke and now I'm not, you're like, I was broke and now I am broke and I'm continue to be broke. And I don't know why. Well, I think that's why, you know, some of your Dave Ramsey fans, some of you can't stand them. <laughs> but one of the things he says is you need to live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. And, and my focus, I think that for the first, you know, 15 years of our marriage was to live like everyone else or, <laughs> <laughs> And, and and not not again not in a bad way, but I wanted to buy a house and I wanted to have a nice car and <clears throat> I didn't realize what I didn't realize is that I was robbing our the future family that we would have mm. of peace and I was robbing the, our future family of financial security and financial margin by making some of those decisions. And again, my guess is if you're anything like me, if you've made some financial mistakes, most of the time those financial mistakes weren't made out of greed or they weren't made out of selfishness. Sometimes they were made out of ignorance. You just didn't know better. Uh, sometimes they they were made out of a, a sincere desire to provide a vacation or mm. uh, a, a car for your kid or whatever that might be. It, just because we make the wrong decision or the unwise decision doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's malicious. But one of the things that I've learned really over the last probably 10 years is that before any, the, before money is financial, it's spiritual. And Joe, Joe said something in the podcast on Friday that really stuck with me. He said, you know, I was always taught to tithe, give 10%, give 10%, give 10%. But I was never taught that the remaining 90 was spiritual. The yeah. remaining 90 yeah. belonged to God too. Yeah. And even though we're, we're, um, we're commanded or we're asked by God to give 10%, it doesn't negate the spirituality and the spiritual responsibility that we have with the 90%. Yeah. And, you know, Justin and I, I wish we could launch into our, I was broke now I'm not story that happened. And it was this amazing, you know, transformation that happened through prayer and encouragement. But 
ours didn't happen that way. We were, um, you know, 11, 12 years into marriage. And if you guys know our marriage story, you know, in 05, our marriage imploded and some like financial awareness came to the surface then that we, I did not know that we were in debt over. And then unfortunately, you know, um, the economy completely tanked. I think that started in 05 and 06. And so then, you know, we were upside down on our house, like all of these things. And we were still trying to figure out the other 90%, but we didn't have a path. And it wasn't until, you know, 12 years into marriage where we uh, got served papers by a sheriff for a debt that we owed that had gone to a lawyer um, that I didn't realize we had that things got a little intense and we may have had um, some discussions over that moment. It almost went to, I was married and now I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But it was like, it, it was the reality that we had done a lot of hard work in our marriage when it came to the relational side and even the spiritual side and even the physical side that we had not figured out or even recognized how broken we were financially. And so one of the first steps that we want to encourage you that has helped us now all these years later, you know, we're almost getting ready to celebrate 30 years here, just a couple years, a few short years, um, because we're so old, but is we had to define reality. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, our defining came through a sheriff. I do not suggest that. I suggest you define reality, but how, what does that even look like? Joe kind of touched on this, but like for somebody listening, going, oh my gosh, here they go, five happy hops to my best financial future. But when it does come to finances, there is a beginning, there is a start. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, for, for me, I am an optimist, but I'm also like, um, I can be an ostrich at times. I, I feel like, okay, if I can just ignore this until I can figure it out, then it'll get better. And I think when, when you define your reality, what that means is you're like, just, you're doing an honest assessment. You're mm. doing an inventory, not just of how much money you have or how many, how many debts you have. But for me personally, it means how do I feel yes. about money right now? Yep. Am I carrying shame into this conversation? Am I carrying guilt? Am I carrying obligation? When I give to God, um, am I doing that because I'm supposed to, or am I doing that because I want to, am am I, am I growing in generosity or am I just giving money? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, it's a holistic approach to defining your reality. Yeah. You need to know how much money you have coming in and you know how much money you have going out and you probably should know what your, the balance of your city card is because ours was (laughs) $8,000 and it did not get paid and the sheriff came calling. But I think. Um, you know, for many of us, it's easier at times to ignore reality and think that it's going to get better, but you can't lose weight until you know how much you weigh Mm. and you, you know, you, and you can't define, unless you define that reality, you're not going to make any progress. And so you can't get out of debt until you know how much debt you're in. And I love that holistic approach because even though Justin and I grew up kind of the same way, my parents especially, I mean, both my mom and dad are just, they're just very generous with whatever they had. And my dad, like our lights never went off, but he would give us the last $20 he had for us to go have friends. Now, Justin knows I grew up very stubborn in this. Like I never asked my parents for money. It like, it like that emotion for me was shame, but it wasn't because my parents 
did that to me. So like when we defined reality in that moment, I realized that like, I love giving money away. I love, and people are like, oh, she's amazing. She loves giving money away. But even in that generosity, and it still was not the right type of generosity, right? Because I wasn't stewarding the other 90% that we were trying to live off of. I was just like, Oprah, you get money and you get money or you get this. So we were opposite ends of the um, spectrum. But when we started to define reality, it was the first time that you and I had defined like that holistic approach that you were talking about, like emotional. And so that's the first step of defining where, where are you financially, like debt and income, all of those things, but then also emotionally. And then what happens is once you define that, then you can begin to create a plan. Well, and once you define it, you're probably going to get really depressed. And (laughs) even if, even if you would, cause you might be in the top 1% of financial healthy people, but we tend to be hard on ourselves. I read this article, um, according to the Financial Health Network, and one only one in three Americans are considered financially healthy. And so I don't say that to say, well, if your finances suck, it's okay because you know sixty six percent of the country is is not good. I say that to say you're not alone, right? And so often I think what happens is we can become defeatist. We we can. It's almost like, you know, if you cheat on a diet, well, I cheated today, so I'm just going to go have a whole carton of ice cream. You know, it's like we just pile it on rather than taking a step back and going, okay, I'm not the only one here, and money is a renewable resource. I I can make more money, right? I I can – there are certain ways, especially, you know, with TikTok and Instagram and the Internet, like the side hustle opportunities are plentiful, Um if we're willing to do the work. And so, but you can't really, you can't really make a dent in it if you don't know what your reality is. And so even if you get depressed, even if you're discouraged, even if you're listening to this going, dude, you have no idea how upside down I am or how much my ex-wife has cost me or how much my ex-husband doesn't support our kids. Like, I don't know what your situation is, but I do know that we have been as about as financially unhealthy as you can possibly be without declaring bankruptcy and God has always proven faithful if we've shown up to actually define our reality and do the work. Yeah, so <laughs> defining reality, creating a plan. And again, that's why I wanted to encourage you to go listen to Joe's podcast. Um, you can go to his website, I Was Broke and Now I'm Not. And he has like so many free resources. They're, they're free. So like start somewhere. And, you know, an easy budget that we started with was just like keeping the numbers Simple. Yeah. Basically, I, I, I think I heard a, a pastor kind of share this when we were like 25, 26 years old. It's basically called an, a 10, 10, 80 plan. Um, and that's basically you give 10, you save 10 and you live on 80. Um, and some of you are like, there's no way I could afford to do that. Well, then do a five, five, 90 plan. You give five, you save five and then you live on 90. The, oh, my brain hurts <clears throat> just in that. But. Well, the, I think the, the, the importance of it is, one, it's predictable. Yeah. Two, it's measurable. And then three, it gives you something to create momentum, right? So if you, you could say to yourself, well, I'm you know $20,000 in debt. I need to have a 100 plan where I'm just going to use 100%. Well, you don't grow in generosity by keeping 100% to yourself. Mm. And studies have shown that generous people are like three times more happy than greedy people. (laughs) 
And so, or people who are not generous. Um, and so it, I think it is important for you to prioritize giving, even if that's 2%. Yeah. And I think it's also important to prioritize savings. What it does is it, it, it puts you healthy um, outcomes follow healthy choices, yeah. right? And so you may have to have a sacrificial six months, but to have a beneficial six months. Kind of reminds me, if you guys have listened to prior podcast, I went back to college after, I don't know, 25 year hiatus or whatever. I've been to a couple of colleges and the program that I'm in is an 18 month program. So I'm due to graduate in December of 2024. It's fine. I have three classes in, I've gotten three A's. I'm super proud of myself, but I have to do some self-talk because it is a long journey and I'm only three classes in and I get a week off and then I start my next class. Hey, what'd you get on that last class? I got an A. (laughs) What'd you get on the class before that? An A. (laughs) Um, But I cried, you know, there, there were, there were moments and I, but it reminds me of finances. It's like, if you focus on just the long term, you're going to be so overwhelmed And it's like, just start somewhere and then find those little wins. I think that's why Dave Ramsey always talks about like the snowball effect, like take your first debt and pay it off. Like you need to find those wins. Um, I have taken, like given myself a $5 budget where I just go and go to one of, you know, the best places on earth, Target or TJ Maxx and spend my $5 on whatever I want. Like it's finding those little moments. But when you create a plan, it just frees you up to then, you know, be a person who is, um, a giver and generous because you know that you can, you know, that you can start going after debt because you have a plan, but you have to start somewhere. And, uh, probably the last encouragement that we would give is, you know, define reality, get a plan and then schedule a business meeting. And I mean, like, put your power suit on and come ready to talk about finances and come with a spirit of togetherness and humility that you're going to sit down and you're probably going to be like, we did this wrong. You know, everybody, you know, you, it's very rare that we find two spenders. It does happen, especially in marriage. Um, But most often there is, you know, a spender and there's a, a saver. Not a savior. A saver. <laughs> Some of you savers out there think you're the savior. You're not, okay? So Justin would be the spender in our, I don't know, we kind of can be both spenders at times. Yeah, that's true. I, I Target, just spend on giving. You like Target. Away. You definitely like TJ Maxx. I do. Um, one of the things that, one of the reasons why we implemented this and really started doing it, and we're not the first to, uh, you know, to share this as advice, is because we would we would get in frequent arguments because we both had a desire to talk about finances, but how we communicated about them um, was just not healthy. I would talk to Trish about them after she came home from Costco, and she would want to talk to me about finances like at eleven twenty at night, right before we go to bed. <laughs> I mean, I'm instead like, of I'm, our power suit, we had boxing gloves. I was ready to put on the birthday suit and. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you wanted to talk about finances. I'm like, no, this is like John Legend time. <laughs> this isn't like Andrew Jackson time. I don't want to talk about money. You know, whatever works <laughs> for this conversation. But I will say it has to be a time where you both mentally have the capacity to show up. And it has to be a neutral uh, place of new, neutral. Ne- neutrality. Neutrality. I was so close. Um 
because without those two elements, you just carving out the time is not enough. It is, it is a mindset and it just takes time. Like you're not going to have it all figured out, but once you do kind of get that groove, you learn the nuances rather than working against each other. So like in our marriage relationship, Justin knows that I like to like Oprah the heck out of our finances. Um, I kind of struggle with that when we go out to eat. I just always want to tip a ridiculous amount and which is kind, but it's, it's not always wise. Right. So he leans into me and that generosity, that spirit of generosity. And I lean into Justin. He is just a, he is a master with numbers, which, you know, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness, but he has a capacity to be able to see our financial future and really understand like the bigger picture of what we need and why we need it. And it's been birthed out of scarcity mindset, but when it's operating out of clarity of where we have defined our reality and where we want to go, that's when we're like in our sweet spot. One of the things that Joe said on this podcast on our podcast, uh, and the, we're going to keep referencing it cause it was just so good. So go listen to it. But, um, he just said, run toward forgiveness. And I think that's so it's, it was such a well-needed advice and something that we don't necessarily always talk about <clears throat> in the area of finances. Like we, you know, talk about forgiveness in other areas. Um, but sometimes we need to seek forgiveness in this area. And sometimes we need to offer forgiveness in this area. And I think when you have a business meeting, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is identify the emotions that each of you are bringing to that meeting. Because if you don't identify them, they're going to drive your responses. They're going to drive your tone of voice. Mm -hmm. They're going to drive your sarcasm. They're going to drive <laughs> whether or not you are, you know, uh, shut down or whether or not you're powering up uh, on your spouse. And so once you identify those emotions, then you you have kind of, a, as Trish said, that equal playing field, mm -hmm. that even playing field. And so it's been it's been good for us. And, and quite honestly, um, Trish is the one who is most faithful and because of my history with money and because of my emotions with money, I tend to, um, I won't, I don't say avoid, prolong, put off. Ostrich? Avoid, uh, avoid those business meetings. So, so put them on the calendar and, you know, make it, make it something that you do, um, that you, you have a, a priority, um, because it, it is something that really is important and we're not going to get healthier financially if we continue to ignore mm -hmm. our health financially. Well, and I think that's why Jesus talked about money more than anything, because he, he, he knew the capacity it has to have over our lives, but it, he also knew that it is this amazing opportunity to, change the world by providing opportunity and what you, you, you had a look. Well, I was just going to say for the wife, maybe that's listening right now mm -hmm. that just feels so defeated because she and her husband on her aren't on the same page. She doesn't feel like she has a voice or maybe she feels like she's carrying the whole load. Maybe he's unemployed or maybe, you know, she, she, he doesn't care about the finances. And so she's, you know, having to do all the budgeting and all the stuff. What, what would you say to that, that wife that's listening that may just feel so isolated right now of how mm -hmm. she can engage her husband? 
that it's okay to seek help. And <laughs> now you probably shouldn't go to your husband's boss for that help, which I may have done that in the story that Justin was talking about <laughs> earlier when he was a youth pastor. 19, I, it was 1998 and I'm for, I've forgiven, but I've not forgotten. And I may have gone to our pastors, Mark and Rhonda, because they were 10 years ahead of us, had older kids and I don't know, they felt trusted. I just didn't tell Justin until we pulled into their driveway. That's another story for another time. But in fact, I think we shared that story in the podcast with Joe, but I would say to you that it is okay to reach out and, you know, ask your husband to be involved in that conversation. And if that's not a place where he wants to be involved at that time in this, I don't even think this is husband, wife, or I think whoever plays that role can feel really isolated. You know, Joe talked about that, you know, with their ministry, they have coaches. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, Justin and I both looked at each other like, heck no, you know, like (laughs) it just felt so exposing. But then Joe started to unpack it of like, you know, it's what Justin and I, why we have this podcast, why we have our finest ministries, why we're passionate about the local church. It's all to come alongside people to help them grow to be the person that they were called to be. And it's a holistic approach that we can talk about our finances and still get help for it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that um, hopefully we'll be talking about in a few months, I'm releasing a new book in October um, and it's called being perfect. No, it's called being real is greater than being perfect. (laughs) I can't even remember the title of my own book, but the premise is it's transparency that leads to transformation. And I think so often the reason that we don't see any change, no pun intended, (laughs) in our financial world is because we're not honest about it. There is no transparency there. There is no vulnerability. And so we just we just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again because we're too afraid to ask for help or we're too afraid to to humble ourselves and go, man, I don't have this figured out. And I think that could unlock for some of us just a whole new level of wisdom and understanding and financial gain by just allowing somebody to come into this part of our life and go, man, you are so close or man, you are blowing it. But here's yeah. some here's some practical steps that you can take to do that. Um, as we close, I just want to I'll toss out just off the top of my head some resources. You know, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, I was broke now I'm not dot com. Um, uh, I would even say bank apps like uh, yeah, the, your different banks now have really Mint. like upped their yeah, uh, uh, YNAB. Yeah, you need a budget. You need why why YNAB? You need a budget. You know, I'm dyslexic, so I don't always get that right. (laughs) But we hope that you leave this podcast knowing, one, you're not alone. Um, Two, you do not have to stay where you currently are today, that you do have choices, and that you um, can choose today just one baby step. And those baby steps get you closer and closer to a place of financial freedom. And this isn't about making, you know, a boatload of money It's not about um, living destitute and, you know, proving to everybody that you, you know, should have to live at a certain standard or not at a certain standard. This is about you and your relationship with God and leaning into that principle that God does own everything. And in that, he's not left you unto yourself to figure it out. He comes alongside you and he loves 
all of you, even your finances. And so I just want you to feel encouraged. We want you to feel encouraged that you're going to make mistakes along the way. So offer yourself and your spouse grace, um, forgive freely and keep trying again. And if you are at financial rock bottom, we say this a lot in our family, that rock bottom is still solid surface to stand. So you stand in saying, I'm going to be proud of myself because even though everything is a mess, I'm going to choose the right next step. That's so good. Well, we want to give you one last next step uh, that we'd hope you join us for. You know, finances and sex and marriage are the two toughest topics uh, to talk about. And they're also the top two things that couples struggle with the most. And so that's why we've taken on finances this month. And February 2nd at 8 p.m., we're going to be talking about the art of intimacy. And it's a masterclass. It's free of charge. And we're going to be talking about how to understand and experience healthy sex in marriage. And there are no graphics. There's there's no... Uh, I'm like waiting for Barry White to start playing, yeah. but we legally can't do that. Um, so. But yeah, so we'd love to have you join us. Uh, you can go to refineus.org slash masterclass and you can sign up. Again, it's free. It's about a 45-minute class. Trish and I are going to share some new content with you. We're going to give you some practical things that you can implement in your marriage to talk about sex in a new way, to look at sexual intimacy in a biblical way and to understand that God is fighting for this area of your marriage even more than you're fighting with your spouse about it. So we, uh, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Let's Get Real podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.